You're listening to Al Pastor, the show that helps you love God, love your neighbor, and eat more tacos. I'm your host, Pastor Brian. Welcome to the show. Well, hello. I want to welcome you to today's podcast. Uh, we are in Exodus chapter 19. Very, very important chapter. I cannot uh, state this more emphatically. Exodus 19 is incredibly important, foundational. So I want to get right into it. I'm most likely I'm going to break up this chapter into multiple podcasts because this is really how exhaustive that it is. And so my goal is to come alongside you, uh, exposit the scripture, and help us to connect some dots. So let's get right into it. Uh, in Exodus chapter 19, under the leadership of Moses that is being guided by the Lord, the Israelites have come out of bondage. They've crossed the Red Sea. They're going through the wilderness. And the Bible tells us that in the third month that they reached the mountain of God. And this is highly prophetic because this is a fulfillment of God's promise. When God first revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush, I want to take you back now to Exodus 3.12. Listen to this. This is what God said to Moses. He says, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Now, if there's any doubt uh, in Moses's heart or anyone else's heart that they have been serving the right God, it is now settled. God has shown his servant and his people the sign. He made good on his promise. He brought them all to worship, to serve on this particular holy mountain. Now, as Israel arrives at this place, this is one of the uh, high points of Exodus. This is the, the mountaintop, the pinnacle. It is the arrival of the achievement of God's plan to save a people for his glory. It also marks the beginning of a new stage or phase in God's covenant relationship with his people. And so Exodus 19 begins with a formal introduction, and it indicates a specific time and a place. So let's read the first two verses of Exodus 19. The Bible says, In the third month, after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the same day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. For they had departed from Rephidim, had come to the wilderness of Sinai, and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain. Now, first thing we've got to ask is, which mountain is this? Here the Bible simply just says in these introductory remarks, the mountain. Now, later in the chapter, this is going to be identified as Mount Sinai. I don't want us in this moment, you can do this uh, you know, separately on a side note. You can look into the various theories as to the exact location of this mountain, but the geography is not necessarily important, although it is. I know it sounds like a contradictory statement, right? Because it is. <clears throat> the mountain is the place where God was. It is where he revealed himself to Moses. And so it's in this place that the Israelites pitched their tents 
And I want you to just kind of envision this if you're a visual per person. I mean, they're in the middle of the desert, a uh, place of, of desolation, a place of isolation, a, a lonely place. And as they make their encampment, and this isn't just a small little camping place. This is several, a uh, couple million people out in the terrain are rugged and rocky cliffs that rise out of the desert. And this is the place that they are going to remain for the rest of Exodus. First, for the giving of the law, and then they are going to build the tabernacle. And so it is here in this lonely place, in this desolate place, that they meet the living God. Now, Moses meets with God first, and he had met God on this mountain before. And as soon as he arrives, he goes up to meet with God again. Here's what the Bible says in verse number three. It says, and Moses went up to God. Oh, I love that. Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain. Now Moses had to go up because God is high and exalted. A mountaintop is the most appropriate place to meet him. Mountains testify to God's transcendence to his majesty to his splendor to his brilliance this evokes okay going back now i want to take you back all the way to the garden of eden garden of eden was a was a three-tiered system there was a uh, the garden of the lord a garden within the garden and a holy mountain and this holy mountain it was an overlap of heaven and earth now we see, not necessarily a reversal, but we see the effects of sin that have come into the world. And so visually speaking, we have a desolate place, a lonely place. And God in his grace and his mercy is going to display his glory on this particular mountain. Psalm 36.6 says that, uh, about the Lord, that his righteousness is like the mighty mountains. Now, while the mountain was a place for the people to meet God, it's also a place for God to speak to his people. Moses, here is the mediator. And we want to not necessarily impose the New Testament on the Old, but the Old Testament reveals the New. They're, they're one cohesive unit. Jesus is our ultimate mediator. So in this case, Moses is as a type of Christ. He is the mediator, the one who is representing Israel before God to communicate with his people. God speaks to Moses. And so I want us to read verse 3 again. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel. Now, this is a formal speech. The way and structure and style of the language indicates this. Very formal. God is addressing his people using their proper titles. Notice the terms, the house of Jacob and the children of Israel. He's doing this because he is about to reveal the terms and conditions of their relationship. 
Now, to use a biblical term for it, he is renewing the covenant, his never-ending love and commitment to his people. I want to pause there for a second because you would say, well, what do you mean renewing the covenant? Isn't this a separate covenant? Underneath the covenant, what we call the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, the foundation between the Old and the New is the Abrahamic Covenant. Now, on top of the Abrahamic Covenant is what we're going to see, the Mosaic Covenant or the Law. Jesus came and he fulfilled that. He fulfilled the terms and conditions of the Mosaic Law and then overlaid us still on top of the Abrahamic Covenant, which is ultimately God's anyway. Um, this is this is what we're seeing a renewal of. So God, this is his starting place. Now, as we get into the next few verses, verses 4, 5, and 6, the words that we are about to read, these verses, are sometimes described as the heart of the Old Testament. Now, in them, God describes what he had done, he and he alone, to save his people. He also told them what he expected from them. And this reveals his desires for, for the ultimate plan and purpose of the people of God. So let's pay attention now. This is verses 4, 5, and 6. God says, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, I would underline that, and keep my covenant, I would underline keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. There's a lot to unpack here. Now, in this speech, I want you to notice that this covers the past, the present, and the future. Verse 4 is the past. Verse 5 is the present. Verse 6 is the future. God is reminding Israel what he had done to deliver and to save them. He also tells them why he had done it. And then he says what he plans for their future. Everything else in the Old Testament, in fact, everything else in human history, the biblical history, can be explained in terms of the covenant relationship that is described in these verses, both old and new. And so God begins by reminding his people what he had done for them. Very important that we remember this is why we take communion. This is why we read God's word. We need to remember. Let's read verse 4 again. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. This in itself, this verse is a summary of salvation. In this are three separate stages in Israel's pilgrimage, their journey. There is a bringing out. There's a lifting up. And there's a drawing close. I want to talk about each one of these phases of the story of salvation. First, there was what God did to Egypt. He humiliated Pharaoh's gods one by one, attacking them with 
terrible plagues. And then he drowns Pharaoh's army in the sea. And it is in this way that he brought his people out of slavery. The next part is God lifted his people up. And in this case, it's on eagles' wings. This is a beautiful image that is richly, richly symbolic. An eagle is a fierce bird of prey. Eagles attack their enemies the exact same way that God attacked Egypt. It's also a bird of rescue. The wings of eagles also depict God's protective nurture and his tender care. The same image appears again in Deuteronomy 32 where Moses sings of God's love for his people and it's in that love song. It is clear that God is speaking of the way he cared for Israel in the wilderness. Listen to these few verses from Deuteronomy 32, 9-11. It says, For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the place of his inheritance. He found him in a desert land and in the wasteland, a howling wilderness. He encircled them. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. As an eagle stirs up its nest, hovers over its young, spreading out its wings, taking them up, carrying them on its wings. The picture that is here is of a mother eagle caring for her babies. Now, baby eagles or eaglets, I'm not sure what you call them, are very, very helpless. They remain in the nest for about a hundred days. There's one commentator that explains it like this. He says, when it is time for the young birds to leave the nest and learn to fly, the eagle stirs up the nest but does not abandon her young. If they experience difficulties, the mother bird swoops down below them and lifts them on its wings back to safety. Wow, that's beautiful. Because this is exactly what God did for his people in the wilderness. They had been delivered from bondage and slavery, but they were vulnerable. Vulnerable to the elements, vulnerable to to thirst and hunger and attack by their enemies. And so God lifts them up on his mighty wings. He provides for them food, water, victory in the battle. And so the last thing that God did for his people was to bring them to himself. He led them to this holy mountain where they would worship him in all his splendor, and all his majesty. The Exodus was not just about getting Israel out of Egypt. It was about getting Israel close to God. And this is always true in salvation. Salvation is never an end in itself. There is always something greater, and that is God himself. This is our fellowship with him, our walk with him, the path of discipleship and sanctification. And this was the history of God's relationship with his people Israel. He brought them out. He delivered them from Egypt. He carried them through the wilderness. He saved them to and for and by himself. And since the Israelites had seen this for themselves, God now appeals to them as eyewitnesses. Let's read verse 4. He says, You have seen 
what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Let me ask you this. What have you seen God do? Every Christian has seen God do essentially the same exact thing that he did in the days of Moses because Israel's salvation is our salvation. Israel's salvation is the pattern for salvation when we place our hope and trust in Jesus Christ. First, God delivers us, right, from bondage to sin through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And ever since then, he has carried us on eagle's wings. He provides whatever it is that we need. And when we're in danger of falling, he catches us and he lifts us back up all while God is pulling us into the embrace of his love. God has brought us out and now he's lifting us up. He's drawing us close so that we will always know, be certain, and be sure of his love and his care for us. I'm going to wrap this up and go into the next phase of some of our verses. We'll see you on the next one. Thank you for listening to Al Pastor with Brian Overturf. If you found value in this, please subscribe and get updates. Most places podcasts are available. We're right here on Anchor FM through Spotify. Also on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon, and iHeartRadio. I hope you'll tune in for the next episode. Until then, we'll see you later.